Welcome to the Weekend Must Watch on Intercut, where we wade our way through the week in theaters, streaming, and on demand. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he's pretty despicable, it's Ooh. Arturo Zurita. It, it, it grows on you. It grows on you. Uh, yeah, Zach, <laughs> you told me that you did not make it out. Maybe your your suit was still in the cleaners or something, because you said you were not a part of the, the festivities that was the July 4th world-breaking uh, box office yeah. numbers that the Minions was able to bring I'm apparently... Weekend. The only one the who did not make one, it bro. out Come to on. theaters. Come on. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's me this time. You said you haven't I, I even know, seen I, one, two, three, Minions, Minion Mowers, uh, all the other mini nope. mini movies. Uh, you have nope, a lot to I catch up on. I haven't played any of the video games that I'm sure I, that exist. <laughs> or... Right, dude. I went on Letterboxd and I'm watching everything <laughs> having to do with the Minions, right? There's a whole list. And none yeah. of them are as cohesive as they should be. Letterboxd, for whatever reason, has the 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 Universal theme park ride. As a thing there? that you can log in there. So uh, it's only a matter of time before the Hilarious. Guardians won and everything else. But yeah, it was Minions Bonanza or Bonanza this weekend. Uh, it went insane, bro. It's- Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the largest July 4th box office return ever. Uh, and that's for a movie post uh, pandemic too, where we've been talking about how movie theaters are trying to come back and trying to come back, and it really feels like they're they're back in full force. Uh, a smart guys- move, I guess, by delaying this movie two years and and waiting for for audiences to be ready to go back into theaters. But I mean, there's so much to talk about with just even specifically Minions: Rise of Gru. If we want to start with the what we're watching in there. Uh, that's the only big movie released in theaters this weekend. They all moved uh, away. And, and I don't. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know where you want to start. Do we start with the movie? Do we start with the box office? Or do we start with Gentle Minions? You start with Gentle Minions. Uh, this is everything. I think everyone has said it. There'll be case studies of this. What Morbius thought yeah. they were getting, but didn't translate into actual dollars. It's this time. Day. Yeah, the Minions turned into millions. That's what happened there. And I think it all has to do with really mm-hmm. good marketing. In my opinion. Uh, they had a soundtrack that had no business being that good. I don't know if you've seen the names mm-hmm. on the soundtrack, which are completely insane. Uh, on top of yeah. that, they were able to hit a viral market on uh, not just having the idea of, oh, it's it's Morbin time being like a phrase that people could just lie about. It, it was the mm-hmm. activity of actually going into the theater um, that I think made it more successful. Uh, I also just think we've come around on the minions, bro. I, 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 looking back at the Rotten Tomato scores for the first ones, I think people really liked one and two, and then they mm-hmm. did not like the minions going on their own. They were not cool with three, and then they just came back. I think the minions have been the same this entire time. I think uh, at the end of it, the minions speak to all of us, Zach. I think there's a reason why their mumble jumble language is a mixture of everybody's, and I think they finally connected with it. But yeah, cinema is clearly not dead if people are going out in droves to see Kevin. Bob and Stuart. <laughs> Except for yeah, Zach. definitely. I mean, yeah, I I think at this point I just have to go see it to be in on the phenomena to at least know what everybody will be referencing, or at least what everybody younger than me will be referencing. You you made a point about people who are like ready to go see the minions or coming around on the minions. I think the most cogent point that I've heard people discussing in terms of minions' success is that it's really become this franchise that a lot of younger people have grown up with. Uh, the first movie was re- released in 2010. So if you were, you know, somewhere between the ages of three to five back then, you're somewhere between 15 to 17 right now and able to go out into theaters on your own, see the latest in the the franchise you grew up with, the way that, you know, for you and me, we got to go see Toy Story 3 and that was like a big deal for us. That was also a huge box office return for Pixar. Uh, but specifically with Despicable Me, I, I don't know if you saw on Twitter uh, that uh, 34% of its audience was between the ages of 13 and 17, which That's is good. unusually large for an animated movie that, you know, considering most people believe animated movies are supposed to be marketed only towards children and then maybe I the mean, still adults kids. that get they're still dragged kids. along. <laughs> but there's a different, I think there's a difference though between that 13 to 17 year old sure. kid and the like 
you know, 12 and under crowd. Yeah. And that there are all these people who are, are maybe out of what we consider the normal age range for the family animated movie showing up for this because there is that beloved connection to the franchise. To me, that's the lesson is that, uh, you know, even if something is necessary, isn't necessarily critically lauded or whatever, there is an audience that is going to have that attachment to it. And it, it, we're, we're seeing nostalgia fuels so many of these big box office Avatar, numbers, whether that's, right? uh, whether that's Avatar, hopefully soon, whether that's Jurassic World's big off, uh, box office numbers and bringing people back, whether that's Top Gun returning to Maverick's adventures. You know, people coming in with some sort of attachment to the property motivates people to get there. And, you know, I... I, I I don't know what the balance is between that and just like the MCUification of the theatrical going experience, but like clearly there's a huge appetite for for minions that I wasn't anticipating because it feels like it's a it's a franchise that is really stretching itself thin at this point, at least from the outside looking in. Uh, so you don't have all the lore, all the backstory, but it's no. everything that you're saying about that idea that they've grown up with it. Add to that good music. Add to that the mm-hmm. viral viral ability of it of having people record themselves yeah. going to the theaters. Um, the music's the thing where there's like there's something there for everybody. There's a lot easily. of artists that are kind of in like the age range of people I like, and they're covering songs that are songs my parents liked. Like you yeah, know, it's crazy. Tame Impala, and Diana Ross, uh, and then getting mm-hmm. Yeet right at the last second with lyrical lemonade to make a video. I don't know if you saw that. At that <laughs> yeah, point, yeah, I mean, I that's what causes the thing to go viral. You know, uh, yeah. I think they were able to tap into the market and they knew exactly what to go for. Uh, on top of that, they're also doing the reverse thing like uh what the x-men movies did the prequels where they were going 50 60 70 they started in the 60s with minions minions Mm. 2 is the 70s bro they haven't even hit the pocket of the 80s the 90s you're saying they're going thin their money's gonna their money's gonna grow with this right here i think that they're gonna milk this out to a degree that's gonna be insane obviously they already got the pipeline of it going straight to peacock afterwards if i'm not mistaken so Mm -hmm. i don't know man these minions are gonna be around for a while you need to catch up because we need to do the bracket I guess so, unfortunately, <laughs> as, as much as it's going to pain me. But uh, yeah, um, I'm glad people are, are enjoying it, I guess. Um, did you encounter any gentle minions at your screenings? You know, my mini was, my, my minions, my, uh, all the minions at my screening were all pressed. So they weren't really yeah. getting up on their chairs. But there were jokes that really got to them. My sister said she just saw it yesterday. And she said there was a group of 17-year-olds. That would just get up and clap at like random scenes. And she's like, it, it annoyed mm-hmm. me to no end. But then there was also, again, like I said, I think there's uh, a lot of older audiences that love the uh, the 70s references and the needle drops mm-hmm. and a lot of the different things that happen. I remember specifically for ours, there was, uh, it was the dial tone. Someone someone dialed somebody. And because back in the day, you had to do the whole rotary phone. They, they right. died at that way more than they needed to. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that there's something there for everyone personally. I I don't. It's not my favorite minions. It's not the worst minions, but it's not my favorite minions. I still think that uh, when you right in the middle, when you're able to balance them, like Despicable Me one and two did, where you have Gru's story and the adorable girls, and then you have the minions. You, I think there's a reason those two are the best. Here, they're splitting it with Gru, and I think they should have chosen. Um, but the missus scene is really great. I, I still think there's slaps that com- slaps the comedy. All of that still delivers. But if you are going out there, uh, don't be despicable. Clean up after yourselves. Take your video. Do whatever you got to do. Um, and just enjoy Minions. Don't, don't scare little Did kids. You, Isn't that terrible being like a child going to go see yeah. Lightyear? It was completely normal, and then you come see this, and there's like just random dudes uh, piling up with droves of 20. I think that's another thing. You yeah. know, that's why you sold so much when you have 20 kids going in to go see the movie. It's going to do numbers. Exactly. You turn it into like a social event more than even like a movie. It's like a church movie. Yeah. Um, you rent out the theater. Yeah. There were a couple uh, new characters and big voice actresses. Did you respond to any of the new additions? Taraji P. Henson as Bellbottom. Mich- uh, Michelle Yeoh also showing up here during yeah. a big year for her. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is definitely the best one because she like teaches them karate. That's something that you end up seeing mm-hmm. later on. And I think she had the most uh, voice acting to do. Everybody else, I-, I do find it really interesting that they're playing versions of characters they're known for. Taraji just did Proud Mary not too long ago. Uh, for like John Claude Van Damme is John Claude because he's got a big claw. Dolph Lundgren uh, plays you know a cartoony version of himself. Danny Trejo, Lucy Lawless. I like that. I, I don't think they they're as funny as previous villains could have been. Like in the last one, they had uh, um, Scarlet Overkill was voiced by Sandra Bullock. Uh, and rewatching that right. one, like she ate that role up. She she gave all that. So I think splitting it between. 
uh, all of the new voices um, kind of diminishes it a little bit. But I will definitely say that uh, Alan Arkin, because he ends up being Gru's uh, hero, who is also a villain, that uh, they're, they're, they're able to get a lot of good uh, back and forth there. But the voice act, voice acting is okay. It's all about Pierre Coffin, bro. This is the guy who does all of the minion voices and just a little... Mm-hmm. I really want to see a Minions movie where it's just in Minionese. I wish they had the balls to do that. Same way I was saying that right. Jurassic World wants to really talk about the, the dinosaurs but won't give them their own movie where you're just focused on them. There, there's a certain point where it's just like, get the humans out of it. I think you could really have a whole Minions type of movie um, where you just focus on them and get their mannerisms. It's very slapstick that, that I think it'll... That's why I think it's transcended to a lot of people. <laughs> awesome. All right, so Minions, Rise of Gru, still in theaters, will be in theaters for a while, given for a how much money it's made. Uh, we'll we, Maybe we'll be talking about it again later on Intercut, but uh, let's get into the streaming selections, because there are a few new movies available to stream uh, this past week. The most notable non-documentary that we got is over on Hulu, starring Joey King, She plays the princess, a strong-willed princess who refuses to wed uh, the cruel would-be king. She's kidnapped and placed at the top of a tower and must fight her way down while saving her family. Art, what did you think of this action-packed medieval set movie with Joey King at its center? I think there's a reason why I have a rating called a stream it specifically for movies like this. (laughs) Uh... I think it's an interesting concept. I like the fact that it's rated R. I like this whole idea of a princess who's locked in the tower instead of someone coming to save her. It's like a Judge Dredd. It's a reverse raid where instead of getting to the top, she's trying to get down. Yeah. And I can't wait for someone. It does really feel raid inspired. Right. I can't wait for someone to remake it and do that justice here. uh, It's exactly what I would expect a Fox straight to Hulu movie to kind of be. Uh, But it's definitely on the lower end. I think we've gotten some good ones that have come to Hulu. There was the one where they were trapped out in the the ice uh, Mm -hmm. snowstorm. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, oh of, yeah that one was pretty no exit that one was pretty good there you we know? go that was um, solid yeah I yeah that. you you crush which is a nice little rom-com a bunch of these movies even fire island where they would have had theatrical yeah. releases um i could see this one being the one that gets put in theaters and then you're like i wish i saw this at home uh, and that's the gamble you play <laughs> with this uh merger that happened where a lot of these movies aren't even given the chance to go out there a lot of the ones that we just mentioned i would have loved to have seen in a theater um but yeah, this is the the pipeline they've gone now, where all the 20th Century Fox ones go to Hulu. But this is one that definitely deserves to be there because I I don't think I could have put up with all the. It's like it's action, and then it'll just stop it so that Joey King could do her little Joey King thing, and I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> too much for me. But I really like the cast. Olga Kurlyanko's in this. Uh, mm-hmm. What's his name? Cooper. Dominic he's, Cooper. Yeah, he's he's playing like the bad guy in there, and I think they could have done a lot more with it. But he's it, got a good evil face. Yeah, it, it's got this PG-13 tone when they've already secured the R rating, and that right. that's what confused me the most. Yeah, it definitely could have been a little bit nastier, could have been a little bit meaner. It it weirdly, like you said, almost feels like they wrote it to be PG-13 and then later on decided that they would go for the full R rating. Yeah. It's weird. Um, But I do kind of feel like it actually is pretty effective in terms of what it's going for. Like, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily this high-minded, like, uh, deconstruction of medieval society or anything right like that, right? It feels like a movie that was started in an email that's read, what if the raid but medieval and girl power or something yes, like sir. that. It's it's very kind of bare bones in its idea, but like when you're when you sign up to watch a movie like this, you know, provided you're not being lied to, you're you're there for some like wince-inducing, bone-breaking action and some, you know, kind of fun little gags uh, spread, spread, uh, spread throughout. Like, it's not a movie that's taking itself too seriously, mm-hmm. and I, I had a fun time with it by not taking it too seriously. You know, it's it's definitely not a movie that you should go out of your way for, but if you like these kind of, like, B-level action movies, I think this one's pretty satisfying. Interesting. Would you go out of your way yeah. to rent it if it was we had our blockbuster days? Um, I mean, maybe, yeah, I've, I've never been, like, the, the biggest, like, B, B-movie action fan, but, mm-hmm. like, this one's okay. I think Joey King is a pretty uh, solid action star. I think maybe the choreography doesn't necessarily do them 
the the most benefits in all all the moments, but there are a few moments that like she's really convincing, and I don't know, it, it's enough that it's like worth the price of whatever I probably would have rented it for. But it, it's on streaming, so that makes it that much easier. There you go. Uh, it's over on Hulu, and I think we're, we're going to be getting like a monthly one every single time. So instead of releasing in theaters, yeah, I, I don't know what the next one's going to be, but hey, yeah, big movies coming to Hulu. There, Fox keeping the keeping the content flowing, keeping cool. <laughs> By accident, they're just lucky yeah, that those things weren't shelved. You know, for a lot of these, they're they're finding a way to rewrap them. But I, I think it's interesting that, it, that you, how you were describing it being an R. Man from Toronto, another one where it's a comedy action one that I think was also R for Netflix. So it's like, is this going to be the house for a lot of those? Like, unless you're Brad mm-hmm. Pitt with Bullet Train, will you be able to get those into theaters, or will they usually be a big streaming premiere? I guess we'll see. Yeah, uh, I did have a couple of docs that I know you didn't get the chance to catch, but a lot of these were at festivals. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, Endangered is one that's out on HBO that comes from uh, co-directors Heidi Ewing and Rachel Grady. I know Heidi because she did uh, yeah. one of our favorites from... Well, she's done a lot of really good ones, to be honest with you. Yeah. But I Carry You With Me a couple years ago from Sundance was one that Alina really loved. And I thought it was a very interesting way of doing this like hybrid type of storytelling uh, where it's half doc mm. and half live. Well... It's like a live-action narrative. Yeah, there's, like, actors portraying them. Uh, This is just a straight-up doc, and it is a really depressing doc, kind of just looking at the journalism in America and how nobody takes any facts seriously or you can just say whatever you want. And at a certain point, it's, like, journalists continuing to ask questions to people who they know are just going to get themselves frustrated. And it's that for about <laughs> 90 minutes. Um, it, it's still pretty engaging to to see, like, the process of what it is to be in the press today. Um and I, I've seen a couple of uh, ones like a Death by a Thousand Cuts, which was uh, about the Philippines and how they try to cover things over there, having a completely different type of democracy where everything is like um, overly spied on. And here it's like what happens when you have way too much freedom that people can believe whatever. So uh, if that interests you, Endangered, out on HBO Max, where the facts can be your Very own. Very cool, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not looking forward to the panic attack that I'm sure this is going to bring on. But Heidi Ewing, as we've talked about, is Solid. a really cool director. Jesus Camp, you know, is the, seriously one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Um, so I'll I'll definitely catch up with this at some point. Uh, another one that I think you might like a little bit more. You like the Chernobyl show, right? Yeah. HBO keeps the content pumping, bro. Chernobyl: The Lost mm-hmm. Tapes. It is a documentary with like crazy footage and stories and anecdotes. Uh, it was pretty bad, Zach. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Yeah. I, I think a doc like this Feels where, like you're, it. where you're just seeing a lot of, uh, be it transcripts, but more so just archives of um, a lot of the travesty that happened and the effects of it. Uh, yeah, kind of show you that uh, it wasn't just one of the worst things, but the idea that it could happen again, and like the show covered on HBO, uh, that it happens because of negligence. So the Chernobyl mm. lost tapes, I know that there's been a lot of Chernobyl content, uh, but I think there's for a reason. It, it's crazy that such a massive event, I guess it's not too crazy, will have so many stories that even 50 years later are still being told. So uh, if you're interested yeah. to see a really creepy documentary, this to me is like <laughs> horror. This is right. this is actually I mean, scary. it's real life horror. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's the the worst possible scenario imaginable created by man, right? So and and you talk about how there's just endless stories and endless stories. I mean, I feel like with something like that, you can probably never fully reach the bottom mm-hmm. of like all the in, all the fallout and all the little yeah. like just small stories in in between. Yeah, I I'm curious about that one too. Like, we're not getting zombies, you know? It's going to be some nuclear thing that turns <laughs> us. Uh, but that one's also on HBO, so you got a duel of docs over on HBO that won't put a smile on your face. But yeah. Netflix has them beat, bro. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. Uh, Netflix has the worst, best documentary that you'll find this week. For those of you who love true crime, go into this knowing as little as possible. I'm going to keep it pretty vague. Uh, it's called Girl in the Picture. It just released today. I had this one on my radar because Sky Borgman had recently done a doc that... Is it nauseous or is it nauseated? People always correct me on that. Nauseating? I was sick to my stomach with Abducted in Plain yeah. Sight. And I did not get to catch this at home on Netflix like a lot of people did. I caught this at a festival. I want to say it was the Chicago mm. uh, Critics Fest. So I had to sit there for this. And I, I think you've seen this, Zach, right? Yeah, yeah. 
It's a disgusting duck. Uh, and just, it just makes you yeah, go, Yeah, one of the most go. sickening real-life events that you've ever, like, seen portrayed in a documentary. You're just going, how? Where? Yeah. How do you allow this stuff to happen? Um, this is that again. <laughs> this is one where a She's girl got a goes gift missing. for those stories. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, not only is she really good at retelling those stories, because it really plays off like a crime thriller. It's a mystery, and you're trying to piece the stuff together. And that's why I say... Excuse me. Go into it uh, knowing little as possible. She really does a good job at putting you in the shoes of the people so you understand why they did what they did, even if you just can't comprehend it or it disgusts you. And I think that that's how she's able to take these stories that would be way too melodramatic as a narrative. There is no way. But she's able to find them, sit them down, and not just question each other, but interrogate the other people involved in the case. Um, Mm. A girl gets kidnapped. They showcase the body and like several people are like, yeah, that's my daughter. <laughs> and other people are like, no, that's not my daughter. And like somehow they're all correct and they're all wrong at the same time. I don't know. Put this one mm-hmm. in line with the mind over murder and you've got some really crazy. Uh, what is it called? Crime thriller. What's the what's the genre? Uh, yeah, true crime. True crime. Uh, that'll probably be right up your alley. So girl in the picture over on Netflix. Moving on to the TV series, though, that is practically... Yeah. It's not true crime, but it's it's a lot of kid crime happening in this. Uh, <laughs> do you want to talk about the happier? Do you want to do you want to talk about the murder one on Netflix or the murder one on Hulu, Zach? <laughs> Let's stick with Netflix first, because I think that's the one that more people probably have seen or at least want to see. I don't know if everybody's had a chance to slog their way through the hours and hours and hours of Stranger Things season four content, including the new four hours we got this month. Uh, but yeah, they wrapped up their fourth season with um, an exciting couple of episodes. One of the things that we talked about back when we first watched st- season four of Stranger Things is that it felt like they had all these disparate storylines, all these bis- disparate characters spread out, not necessarily like interacting, and that it was finally sort of coming together. All, all the things were ready to collide just when they left us with the mid-season cliffhanger. So we yep. got a lot of those comings together, so the, the characters um, of directly affecting each other in their pursuit to save Hawkins and save each other from Vecna. Art, what did you think about how Stranger Things wrapped up its season four? Were you satisfied? Was it was it good? Do you want more? Season five is supposed to be the final one. So I like this yeah. idea of almost it feeling like a part one, part two. I think one, mm-hmm. two, and three do a good job, even if I'm not, they're not my favorites, obviously, uh, at being a contained story. That's why I like that they call their stuff volumes. Like it really does feel like this is one this is two, this is three separate stories happening. This is the first time where it definitely feels like this is all a lead up to whatever the big finale is going to be. Um, it's got that, you know, empire type thing that they wanted to homage mm-hmm. with it having a happy but not super happy ending. I, I liked it. I don't get the release strategy. Like, just make it weekly. I think you agree with mm-hmm. me on that. They're like, it's really yeah. good if you just have them wait a little bit. Uh, but like I was telling you, Everybody's cracked it. Now they're able to be in two cycles for the Emmys, man. Um, that's really the best way that I could justify that. Uh, but yeah, just release it weekly. I think you were able to get uh, a lot of people really hyping up on things, especially uh, imagine how episode four would have played. Right. If they, with if the cli- as a week. cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. They're going to come in on people five and they're going to act so like, much yeah, about it. They're going to act like they're going to invent it for five. They're like, we're going to do Stranger Things weekly. It's right. an old school way of doing things. Uh, but overall, as an story homage was, to the 80s. It's an homage <laughs> to how people used to watch television. You will have to wait. I'm not going to say they invented it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, this has been my favorite season thus far. I rewatched one and two leading wow. into it and then I went straight to it. You know, I'm not a big fan of the originals. Uh, the originals, the one, two, and three. And this one really, I I think that they're able to do something extra with it. I don't know if it's this idea of one, two, and three, we're always just like, look at that. We want to do it. Look at that. Do you remember that thing you do? Like, we're going to do the same thing again. And after so many years of doing that, we now get to see, okay, what if E.T. had a sequel? They're finally able to Mm -hmm. do their fan version of that instead of just seeing a fan redo E.T., if that makes any sense. Right. They're finally getting into the territory where they will have things 
that people will homage from and not just be the homage that they've been for a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. I think Vecna's a dope character, dude. I think uh, mm-hmm. Jamie, who plays him, did a fantastic job. Uh, as you were saying, you were telling me earlier, Netflix really wants you to know that it's a practical effect on Vecna. <laughs> um, and I really liked it in the first couple, the first half of the episodes. Yeah. I do think it looks a little goofy, especially in the last episode, the way he's walking around. I think you feel the prosthetics of it. I think the more that you ask him to move, the more it looks like a guy under Yo, prosthetics, you know? Dude, they said it was 30 pounds on him. Yeah. 30. I'm sure it was not comfortable. Yeah. It looks really cool, but maybe it doesn't move as well as it looks. I, I, I hope it ages well. We'll see. Um, but yeah. how did you feel about all the storylines coming in? Because I, I did. I found it satisfying. And it actually has me for the first time uh, really intrigued for how they're going to wrap things up next. Yeah. You know, I, I was pretty satisfied with the season in general. I I don't know if I like it more than season one, but I definitely like it more than the every, every season since season one because it mm. really feels like all the pieces eventually mattered in some way, even if some yeah. were maybe a little bit more on the periphery. Uh, it, it did just come to... It, it just... It did feel eventually like, you know, like every piece was contributing in some way. Like every character that they introduced wasn't there just to pat out the cast and flex their budget, their 30 million per episode budget or whatever. Um, Which showed. I agree. I agree. Also, when we're talking about Vecna, I think the thing about Vecna is that it made the antagonist of the show a little bit more clear than it's been for the majority of season of these stranger things seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the beginning it was the mind flayer and then season two, season three, they were kind of like, Oh yeah, it's still the mind flayer, but not really. And, and now there's like an actual path and an actual like thing to take down. Yes. Um, I was actually pretty satisfied with where it felt like it was going. Like there was, with maybe like half an hour left to go in the final two and a half hour episode, <laughs> I kind of felt like we could have just ended the whole show there and I would have been okay. Obviously some things spin, uh, spin out of control beyond there, but it did feel like they, they, it, it felt like a pretty satisfying conclusion to what was like an, an epic threat. Um, I do feel like that break between the last episodes in this, let them talk a little bit too much. Tell and the me, Duffers bro. love to love to, you know, say things and talk and hype their stuff up and then not fully deliver on what they've been talking about. And it doesn't make me think the show's bad, but it makes me really annoyed at the Duffers. Mm-hmm. I want you to talk more about that, but I also don't want to get into too many spoilers. How do you feel about yeah. this concept that they got? Because I, I know what you're talking about. Um the idea of after knowing the success and how people reacted to the first seven episodes, do you think they go back and tinker? You think they go back and like, hey, this one song did really well. We're going to recut this bit. <laughs> this actress, actor, maybe did I, really good. We're going to have more scenes or maybe change something. <laughs> I don't know. I, it feels like a lot. It feels like not necessarily a huge amount of time to like drastically change your show. But it does feel a little bit like they're a little scared of really upsetting people right like the only mm-hmm. the only real consequences are going to be felt on the periphery of the show and the yeah. core of the show has to be okay because people really care about the sh- the core right and it, it's maybe it's that thing that i was complaining about with the boys where it's a show where that's a show that where you feel like anything can happen to anybody except for the core characters. Yeah. I, I wanted there to be a little bit more of a sense of a threat to Stranger Things. And and I think they feel like they they did it um, with a certain character, but I don't think they did. And I think I, I think they, have, they did not. I think they leave themselves these paths to like backtrack yes. on their decisions. And it's just a little bit cowardly. But I don't want to be too harsh because it's a good season. Yeah, no, I agree. It still has a lot of those criticisms there. Um, If they were to deliver on that in season five, is that a little too late? Is it exactly what you're saying that they waited (sighs) up until the end so they don't have to worry about the follow-up? Right. Like they, I think they sometimes like get to the edge of a satisfying decision and then walk it back. But like, even if you get to that satisfying decision late, like 
when you set yourself up for it, just go for it. Like your audience will forgive you. Yeah. Just be brave. Um, so yeah, it, even if season five maybe gets a little bit darker and, and has some more consequences, I just don't know if that's going to really uh, atone for, for season four. But like, I, I'm, I feel like I'm saying that as if to say I didn't like season four. I really liked season four. That's just I your just biggest criticism they, of it. They like to pretend that this is some like, scary show with really daunting things for their characters and oh who's gonna make it protect steve and it's it's not that show it's 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 not it's a cute adventure why did netflix it's a cute put, adventure with some scary things why did netflix put out ads to not kill a character that they're responsible for <sighs> yeah they're if so you want to protect steve so badly you do it go to the writer's room you literally are the one yeah. person who can protect them <laughs> walk down the hall ah uh, but overall stranger things season four i still I still think Delivered, it's the best one that they've got yet. I'm curious to see what they do with Five. But more than that, I do want to just go a little bit forward to answer one of the things that we had in the yay or nay because we're on the topic. What do you think about their production company being announced today after the weekend? um, They came out and they said that they're doing upside down pictures. Bro, there's going to be a stage play for Stranger Things. uh, I know they were already working on The Talisman. Uh, for Stephen King and Spielberg, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to homage somebody so hard and then get to work <laughs> with the band. Um, yeah. They're doing another show with the showrunners who did Dark Crystal. And then, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're going to trust Netflix again with it, but they did Death Note, the one that nobody liked. They're and doing they're like, another what Death What if we Note? do it again? Um, overall, yeah. what do you think of this uh, Upside Down Pictures, the stuff that they got coming up, and even more so all of the spinoffs that they're going to be doing? Because they claim it's not going to have the main cast. It's going to be something that no yeah. one sees coming. I mean, it's interesting because, like, obviously it's not, like, a huge surprise to give the Duffers this kind of deal. And we see this with a bunch of TV showrunners. Like, Netflix did the sim- a similar thing with Shonda. They did a similar thing with Ryan Murphy. Uh, mm-hmm. when, when you have these showrunners who are responsible for these giant uh giant properties you try to keep them in house and you try to like just see if they can strike gold twice um i don't know if we've if the duffers are necessarily people who i would trust to you know carry out a whole uh scope of productions we saw previously when they tried to spin off stranger things and how poorly that went during season two uh uh, you know, it's just we haven't really seen them do much outside of this. So I don't know if I fully am on board with just, oh, yeah, let, give me more Duffer produced content. They have a clear vision for what people like. I, I just don't trust them yet. But I also Same. don't blame Netflix because, you know, how you? many billions of dollars have they made them at this point? Mm hmm. I like the idea of them being in this new guard of them being, what, the only filmmakers who get the analytics from Netflix. They're the only ones who are able to really play in the streaming uh, game the most. Their reasoning for making the episodes the way they were were because they're like, we we are no longer bound by the commercial TV uh, programming, so we could do whatever we want. And they're like, they're discussing what you and I always discuss about TV, movies, miniseries, how are you telling the story, and... That's what intrigues me the most about what they're going to create. Like, since they know the media the best and literally have the the most inside knowledge, what will they be able to make that's new? But I've never really seen them do something new because my whole thing about the Duffers yeah. is that they've homaged everything. So what if they Benioff and White? Right. What if now that they don't have anything and they have to do it on their own, can they not get away with it on the next one being an homage or an adaptation yeah. or something that it may fall apart? We will right. see. Benny Off and Weiss were actually Benny Off and Weiss were the the exact people I was thinking of, and I didn't want to say it because I felt a little bit like I got you, uh, unfair almost. <laughs> but like, you, what have they done since Game of Thrones? Right? Like they they've been signed up for a whole bunch of projects. They've had deals at Netflix, had deals with Star Wars, and like, what what's actually getting made? Yeah, uh, nothing. They had that one metal one <laughs> that they did on Netflix. Nobody <laughs> saw it, but hey. Based on a script before he wrote before, before Game of Thrones. Before, yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe, I don't know. That'll be some of the stuff that they do, but we'll see. It, yeah. it seems intriguing, some of the other projects that they have on there. But talk about only murders in the building over on yeah. Hulu coming back with a season two. Yes, uh, the delightful murder mystery comedy 
over on Hulu with Martin Short, Steve Martin, and Selena Gomez talking about uh, investigating the murders in their own building. If you saw season one, you know that it ended on a interesting last minute cliffhanger that plunges our heroic trio uh, deep into another murder mystery uh, and one that they are much closer to than Mm -hmm. they were in the first season. So the stakes are higher and I think the the balance is a little bit sharper too. Like now that they've had a season to figure out, you know, the interactions between these characters, the dynamics between them, how they play off of each other. I feel like it's just like go from the start and they are already launching into fun running gags and little meta bits about their show within a show, the podcast that they produce. Um, It's, you know, getting off to a strong start. So I'm still with it. I'm still enjoying it. I only caught uh, the first two, so I'm not like fully dove in. Yeah. They sent us the screeners. I haven't watched the screeners. Uh, I'll try and get a little bit ahead and maybe report back. But so far, I'm I'm happy to be back in the world of Only Murders in the Building. I finished uh, season one because I know we had the screeners too right before it came out. So I wanted to see and right. I, I, I caught up on it. I did not know it ended that way. Um, but there was one joke just because I wanted to see the, the, the pilot for two yeah. where uh, – Martin does a good job of like making fun of the medium that he's in. Like he's yes. he breaks the fourth wall in a really creative way. Uh, he did it in the first one when they look at the body and he goes, "Oh, it's a dead body." And he asks like how bad it was. He's like, "It's so bad you wouldn't be able to show it on TV because they're streaming." And in this one, he does this thing about like he does a COVID joke, but it's because they're contained. And he goes like, wow, this is a perfect place for us to be like contained in this whatever for the whatever period of time yeah. that we need. And I was like, ah, th- that's the one thing he's killing on the show, um, which mm-hmm. is why I, ca- I can't wait to, to hop on it. Yeah, they, they definitely slid a bunch of funny little meta jokes in there uh, for the beginning of season two. So, yeah, um, I'm sure we'll both keep up with it because it is a very entertaining show. Yeah. Uh, but that's about all for what we've been watching. Let us know what you've been watching in the comments on the live stream. If you're with us live in the comments down below, if you're watching afterward, maybe shoot us an email to intercutpod at gmail.com. If you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, whatever it is, we want to hear what it is you're checking out out there and definitely let us know if any of our recommendations landed with you. It's always cool to hear uh, what property, what shows, what movies that you guys enjoy that we talk about. Um, But you already talked a little bit about that one news item earlier let's get into the rest of the yay or nay and talk about what else has been happening in the world of entertainment beauty and the beast is going to get an abc live treatment uh it's going to be 30 years and john m chu is directing this bro so i find this interesting for a lot of reasons you got the ip side of it where it's like are is that going to be the new way of being able to create new content uh it's also Mm -hmm. a really big director but it mixes in with Broadway. This is practically... They've done a couple of these in the past, I know. Um, yeah, I know they did like a Grease one. Um, yeah. I don't remember all the musicals they've done, but they also do it with these uh, live sitcoms sometimes yeah. too. This feels like it's going to be a little bit higher than that as well. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be interesting how they how they can take that and even do more with it in terms of Broadway being able to do uh, live performances mm-hmm. that are streamed. Um, just that idea of being able to capture something obviously is not going to be the same as being there. But um, when you're able to get the budget for like a one-off, uh, what they're going to do with that. I just find the talent that they have pretty interesting. I don't know what the cast is going to be, but yeah. should be a fascinating thing to see. And then I yeah. believe they just end up putting it on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a simulcast on Disney Plus or it's going to be the next day. It looks like it's going to be the next day. Uh, But be curious because as they continue to sort of like, you know, bring everything under the Disney Plus umbrella and bring some ABC stuff into if they'll start trying to do these like live simulcasts through Disney Plus as well. Mm -hmm. But that is the big thing in terms of that. The next one is something that I saw you really fell in love with. It's hard not yeah. to when it it's really is hard not to. Probably one of the most stacked casts that we'll be getting this year. Amsterdam. They got a trailer, which is really good. I'm not gonna play it here, but they got stills. Those I will showcase right now. Mm-hmm. 
this has to be one of my favorite trailers that uh, that has come out. I don't usually gravitate towards going to go see a trailer until like it's playing in a theater. I'll, I'll watch it the right. one time and then you know probably get tired of how many times I have to sit through it. This just looks fun, and I think it makes me so excited yeah. for the movie because this is a characters piece. This is an ensemble. I feel like we mm-hmm. haven't had a good ensemble in a while. This I'm going to use a phrase that I feel like is overused, but like this looks like a movie for adults, right? Like we don't get enough of those movies for adults. Characters, Rise a, of whole, a, a whole ensemble cast of Oscar nominated actors and actresses, people we love. It, it's like, it's stacked, man. And Too much like, talent. You know, it, yeah, it, it's just like, it feels like it's been a little while since we got one of these kind of fun, kind of, you know, irreverent, but, you know, obviously prestige ensemble dramas that were, I feel like they dominated the mid 2000s in the Oscars. And, it, you know, we see fewer and fewer of them. So I'm, I'm excited. You know, it's just, uh, I think there's this thing hanging over the film, which is like making me reluctant to share my enthusiasm for it. It's just the whole like David O. Russell being like a garbage person <laughs> and being the director of this movie. Uh, great director has made a bunch of movies I really like, but man, that dude seems awful. Like not just, not just like even the, the new news stories that are coming out about him, but like go look up that video of him screaming at Lily Tomlin. I, I, I'm surprised. I, I don't know. It, it's I'm worried already that this whole thing is going to like take away from my ability to enjoy what looks like an awesome movie. It looks like a really fun movie. I agree with everything you say, man. Yeah. This looks uh, so what, what clean, per- bro. Ah! Oh, what looks- performance looks the most interesting to you from the trailer? Stop. What are you asking me? Dude, these are like high caliber actors playing off of each other <laughs> with like, yes, terrible man. But he knows yeah. how to get some, he knows how to direct yeah, some of these actors to get like really crazy stuff out of them, bro. There are some stares that they do off of each yeah. other. Obviously, I'm looking forward to Christian Bale. Seeing this trailer. Look. After having to go sit through Thor, what he yeah. had to do in Thor. Poor guy, bro. <laughs> That's not Thor hate either, yeah. but like, come on. This this is what this is what he can do. Right. Y'all had him I on mean, a leash. David O. Russell's David O. Russell's previously directed Christian Bale in The Fighter and American Hustle. So like that is an amazing combination. And there's something and about this. This one. is the Christian Bale's one of my favorite actors, and this is the kind of performance I love this seeing from the, him. And he's like, make it a big choice. It's him at work, bro. Um Margot oh. Robbie looks stunning. Yeah. She's going to have one hell of a year coming back up. It, the cinematography looks great. The direction looks great. The blocking, the performances. I, I don't I don't know. I'm going to go Christian Bale because I feel like that's the easy cop out there. But it's such a stack. Like, when Mike Myers came out towards the end. <laughs> Michael Shannon in the movie doesn't have a line in the trailer, but he's in this movie. Andrea Rosaburo. Uh, Taylor Swift is another one. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know, dude. And then having Rami, Robert De Niro, it's just going to be fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this a lot. I'm very curious to see I'm how Chris Rock it. plays off them. Yeah. That's going to be a fun <laughs> one to see. But overall. I mean, if this movie gets nominated for a bunch of Oscars, Chris Rock's probably going to have to <laughs> come back. <laughs> yeah, he is. That's going to be funny. Yeah. But Amsterdam, if you haven't seen the trailer, definitely go check it out. It is, it is a fantastic yeah. trailer. Give it a watch. Uh, can't wait for the movie. Um, but that's it for the yay or nay. It is time, Zach, to go through the new to see. What are you excited the Let's most about? Do it. Oh well, ta- starting off with today, July sixth, in theaters. It's only in limited theaters. I know it's playing here in New York. It might be playing in LA, but if you're in the New York area, do yourself a favor and try and check out. Fire of Love, maybe the best documentary that we saw at this year's Sundance Film Festival, directed by Sarah Dosa. It tells the story of Katya and Maurice Kraft, who were volcanologists doing these amazing explorations of different volcanoes, getting up close and personal. Freaking awesome. Oh, man, lava. Just lava is so cool. And there's so much of it in this movie. Um, yeah, man, it's it's a really cool movie. I'm very excited to see it again. Um, and maybe maybe even in IMAX. Bro, the trailer said that they're going to be releasing this in IMAX. And then you tell me, because we don't even have the movie here yet. And I can't wait to go back to watch this because, yeah, we, we were able to see it in our little screening room for Sundance. But that's still at home. 
I want to see this on film. I, I want to see this on a big screen. It's meant for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So screw you, Zach. You better go watch this. You better go do the double feature with this and the Minions at some point this week <laughs> if you got it over there. Yeah, oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, over, also out today on Hulu is Maggie. They're binge-releasing all 13 episodes of this series. Are, are you excited for this one? I am curious because I kept seeing scenes from it. So they have an interesting marketing thing where they realize, hey, do some out-of-contact scenes, put it out there, and you might get some uh, forwards and backwards uh, interactions. But it doesn't. It feels like a freeform show, uh, which is the home of Hulu. But it's not a freeform. Yeah. It's supposed to be a Hulu original, so we'll see. I've, sometimes I worry about these uh, uh, series because it's 13 episodes too, bro. <laughs> it's not like <laughs> for a comedy. It's 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 already over the the 10 that they usually do. So we'll see if they have good characters. Uh, I'll catch it. This Friday over on streaming on Netflix, we get the sea beast. This is the this latest from Sony picture image works Art, You said you were excited about this one, bro. I saw the trailer to this. I think the animation looks fantastic. They have a pretty interesting voice cast with, uh, Jared Harris, Carl Urban, and then this is what the guy's done. He did Bolt and Big Hero 6 in the past. I know Big Hero 6 got mm-hmm. its own series right now, so uh, I think those are decent movies. I don't adore those movies, but I, I've been a big fan of Netflix animated movies when they care. Not Marmadukes, but when they care, I think like with Klaus and Mitchells, they're able to knock it out of the park. I don't think we've gotten one this year. We've only gotten Marmaduke. This may be it. So I'm excited for the Sea Beast for those reasons. Definitely. Uh, also on July 8th on Mubi is the debut of This Much I Know to Be True. This is a new documentary about Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, a pair of highly, highly respected and regarded musicians, but also interesting about this one, which we caught back at the 2022 South by Southwest Film Festival, mm-hmm. is this is directed by Andrew Dominic, the man behind the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, the man behind Killing Them Softly, softly the man sir. behind Blonde Upcoming. with Ana de Armas coming later this year. Mm-hmm. That's why I had said when, when I caught this one and I, you know, I had the streaming release to it, I was just like, ah. I, I had the headphones on and it sounded really good, but I'm like, this felt like one to see in a theater. Well, it's mm-hmm. back to streaming, but at least people have access to it. Uh, I think if, I, I don't know his music that much, so it was really interesting to see kind of how he'll explain something and he's like playing with miniatures and then it'll lead into a whole performance uh, and then he'll stop mm. it and he'll start discussing some other things. So it's a pretty interesting musical experience. So if you're into Nick nice. Cave, definitely check it out. Uh, but if you're just interested in like a music doc slash... Uh, performance check it out on a movie i might have to get a movie bro there's too many i'm, I'm at, th- th- at this point i've justified like a two-year price for it <laughs> with the amount <laughs> my watch list is so big for movie and i don't even have an account yeah for it. oh man yeah movie just getting more and more good stuff and that's only going to con- con- continue later into the year yes it is uh, but over on showtime they're debuting Supreme Team on Friday. This mm-hmm. is a three-part limited docuseries that takes an in-depth look at notorious Queens, New York gangs and tells the story from the mouth of its leaders. This one, interestingly, not just a story about gangs in New York, but it's directed by a man from New York who knows all about it, Nas. What? Like So Nas shifting into documentary filmmaking now let's do it dude i saw a trailer earlier billy porter's also directing you got nas directing uh some other artist too was about to make his directorial debut Hmm. i'm here for it dude i think it seems pretty interesting played at tribeca but i don't i don't think we had uh, access to it virtually or if i did i missed it but hey it's gonna be over on showtime already uh i'm excited for it yeah uh also on Friday, we have a whole bunch of new films in theaters. Let's start with Both Sides of the Blade. This is the latest film written and directed by Claire Denis. It stars Juliette Binoche and Vincent Lindon. Uh, this was the Berlin winner for Best Director earlier this right. year. So I'm very curious to check about check out this one. Uh, confusingly, they changed the title to Fire, and then they changed it back to Both Sides of the Blade. You asking the wrong person. I was so confused. That's why I was asking. I was like, Zach, is this even yeah. it? I don't even know when this is out. Uh, it <laughs> seems like it's not going wide until August 31st, but you said it will be playing in New York. So if you're on any of the coasts, you should have access to it. 
Yeah. A uh, few films that are getting limited releases this weekend. Murina, which was a 2022 con selection, I believe, or maybe it was a 2021 con selection. Um, Came from con. As well as, well as Cop Secret. This is a thriller about a cop in denial with a secret. Uh, curious looking film as well, hitting theaters. And then finally, Take the Night, another uh, thriller of sorts. Uh, you were telling me a little bit about this one. What's the deal with this one? Uh, prank gone wrong. And then they realize like, oh, no, now, now we're stuck in a thriller. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, these are probably nice. like the biggest releases that you're going to get because it is the week of a little movie called... Zach, you can say Four the news. You loved it so much. Love and Thunder. Yes, uh, we are back to the MCU this week with Thor, Love and Thunder, Taika Waititi back in the director's chair to take on Chris Hemsworth's Thor and a whole other slew of big name actors in this one. Natalie Portman returns to the franchise as Jane. Christian Bale, as we talked about earlier, plays Gore the God Butcher. Tessa Thompson is King mm, Valkyrie. Russell Crowe is here as Zeus. I need one word from you, though. Yes or no on Russell Crowe? On, on Zeus? Oh, big time. Yeah, let's get the Zeus movie started. Come on. The, at least somebody decided to show up and make a choice with their character. Yes, yeah, so I was entertained. Uh, Thank you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> um, so speaking of Thor, Love and Thunder, we've both had the chance to watch it. We'll probably wait until next week to dive more deeply into it to really pull this film apart. But what was your reaction to the latest MCO film? Bro, it's a stoner comedy. <laughs> they, they said it was a rom-com. <laughs> now this thing, a, a stoner comedy with all of its 70s homages. Yeah. They love, love, love Guns N' Roses in this. And it, it, any way that you can mm -hmm. put Guns N' Roses. Like, not just the music. <laughs> if you could fit it into the script, if you could fit it into the production design, they found every way possible to put Guns N' Roses into this thing, which... Yeah, uh, costume uh, design. <laughs> too much. Um, but I guess it's been a yeah. minute since Guns N' Roses has been in a big movie, so they're taking advantage of it. Uh, I don't like it better than Ragnarok. Um, I, yeah. I did my, like, little list really quick to see where it fit. I think you may have this one lower than I do, um, but the way that I would compare I it do. is... I, I don't think it's above Shang-Chi and Multiverse of Madness for me, going off the recent ones. But it is definitely mm -hmm. way better than Eternals and Black Widow. I think it's a movie that does know what it's going for. <laughs> I agree. Um, but it, it's very... And it's not a bad thing, right? Like, it's not connected to anything else, really. It's it's yeah. very much a parody of the idea of being the fourth <laughs> the fourth Thor movie. And part of me thinks yeah. that's really funny. And then the other part of me wished that the jokes were a little funnier. I know he does the that's whole, the like, thing. filming eight hours. And sometimes I, I feel like the jokes that needed the context to build up to something weren't there because they needed mm -hmm. to trim this under two hours. And there's a lot of banter that yeah. probably would have made the jokes a lot funnier. But I'm looking forward to rewatching it. I know they have an IMAX version of it. Uh, probably grab a couple of beers and go watch this before you see it. And I think you may have a good time. Because you're not really mm -hmm. doing any homework. You don't have to worry about a lot of these other Marvel movies where you're like, how is this connected yeah. to that? Again, it's practically making fun of all that. And uh, it's not Taika at his best. But it's definitely a lot of Australians having a good time, dude. Russell Crowe. Uh, Taika, Hemsworth, mm -hmm. they filmed the whole thing mm -hmm. in Australia. So, I mean, they, they were just chilling on this movie. That's the best way I could pitch it. But uh, yeah, probably falls at like the middle for the MCU for me. Not bad, but I really love Thor. I saw you freaking really love Thor too. Uh, Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Thor Ragnarok's in my top five. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if I have it number one like you do, but top five for me is a pretty big deal. And uh, I think that's also why I was judging this one a lot harshly going into it um right because it's having way more fun i think uh the the first one for ragnarok ha has a surprisingly deep story in there and i think the timing on a lot mm -hmm. of their banter is better than this one where it feels like <laughs> dude star lord in this the guardians who are just here practically for a cameo i don't know why they push them so much you could feel chris yeah. pratt going like I'm not executive producer on this one. Finish your little <laughs> handshake thing and I could go back to filming my stuff. Um, yeah. But it's okay. I don't know. It, there was there was something a little bit half-baked about this one that I 
had me frustrated with it. I, as you mentioned, yeah, I got Ragnarok ranked as my highest MCU movie, mostly because I don't really care about the stories too much. I'm, I'm there to be entertained, and that one was the one that entertained me the most. And here, I felt like they were just doubling down on so many of the things that they did in the last one, but to less effect. Like, they, you know, they bring back uh, a bunch of the dynamics and the jokes, and, you know, Korg kind of has the same dynamic, and the they do the the play again and all this. Stuff. I don't know. It's the it, same it thing, isn't it? Sort of like they're they're going beat by beat through the jokes they liked from the last one and just doing worse versions of them. Yes. I found it to be like dreadfully unfunny, and and I I couldn't really get myself to laugh. It all felt recycled. I feel like at some point when you're writing a joke like. I thought you said this was going to be a vacation. I said this was going to be like a vacation. Like somebody on set should have stepped up and been like, wait, I've heard that one a thousand times before. Yes. And and there's like, I don't know. I, I don't think Taika's an untalented dude, but I, I do feel myself growing tired of the shtick a little bit. And I was really worried coming into this because I have not been liking his performances. Yeah. I didn't want it to bleed into his direction and screenwriting. Um I love when actors get EPs. They need to stop giving them EPs, bro. There's one thing that an actor used to not be able to do, and that's go into the editing room. And with these EP credits, they're going in there. And I, I feel like they're picking the wrong shots, man. I, That's mm. the best way that I could put it. There's something in rewatching Ragnarok where the jokes aren't just fresh, but the timing is there. And this, yes, it feels yeah. regurgitated. It feels like what hit the first time, let's try to do it again, and you're right. There, It's just off. The editing choices that they decide to go for, I still feel the movie's being edited. <laughs> and I think we all know this because that trailer came out I mean, so last minute. They're definitely going to be fixing the VFX because there's this one moment. I want to know if you can be selling you know. stuff like that, man. Yeah. There's this one moment where they're walking on the bridge like towards Zeus and... Natalie Portman gets like that one of those fake helmets on and it's like one of the fakest fake it's helmets bad, they've ever done it's in so one of these bad. movies. You know, this is shot on the volume. Um, what was that? The, this is shot on the volume, what they shot Mando in, what they shot uh, the Batman in. Oh, yeah. Which should look better. Not and, when you're not paying attention to it, bro. Like the, just because yeah. you're shooting in there doesn't mean you have to stop storyboarding and blocking. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I, to me, it's a big Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, I think if you're interested in it, you're going to go watch it. If you, if if Ragnarok was not for you, this is definitely going to be it. And if Ragnarok was for you, I think you'll still end up performing that, performing, uh, preferring that one over this one. Two quick questions before we move on. Uh, Christian Bale, we talked about him briefly. Yes or no as the villain? Because like, I, I thought the villain was kind of thinly drawn, especially for an MCU character. But I did really enjoy how much he hammed it up, particularly in that one scene where he's got them all tied up. Like you could just tell he's having fun. Um, but they, I wanted they don't more give of that scene right there. I know exactly yeah. what scene you're talking about uh, in the dark where he's sitting in the shadows. A little that's more menacing and, and like Jokerish almost. Yes, that's the only scene where you get that, in my opinion. You mm -hmm. had stated that you have two Oscar winners who do meet in this movie, and it is the most bland thing. I, I wanted yeah. more. I wanted more from Natalie. Give him some dialogue. I, I wanted more from him, but uh, I, I I don't know if you've seen any of his interviews. He's so funny, man. He goes, MCU was that. <laughs> oh, I know it as Marvel. Yes, yes. Oh, you know, right. I mixed them all up. <laughs> you know what? I don't even watch movies. <laughs> He's really funny in interviews. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad he got his check. He's he great. said his kids wanted him in this. Hey, I get to see exactly. him in, the, in that movie later on with uh, with the rest of the cast. I'm good with him. Right. He's allowed to get his bag over here and then be able to go give us all yeah. the good stuff later on. But yeah, I wanted more. And then I did. And then I did also want to talk about Natalie Portman, who you know obviously has been absent from this franchise for a couple of movies, yet is here in a big way in this one. And I found it to be just a little bit weird. Like, I don't want to, I don't mean to come across uh, like harsh, but I felt like they had no idea what to do with her character. She felt like her personality would change to fit the needs of the scene she was in. Yes. Where certain times she's anxious, certain times she's confident, certain times she's like, D doesn't want to step on toes and the next time she's ready to punch Zeus in the face. Like, they just never really decided what she was doing there. <sighs> I don't know. I, I will say I think a lot of people were like skeptical that they were going to be doing a lot with her character. And surprisingly, I don't think yeah. they do enough. Um, I don't know. I, I actually wanted to see a little bit more 
of her and how they were going to expand that whole idea of kind of like the yeah. 007 thing where they were sharing in the last movie the title between each other and i wanted to see more mm-hmm. of that back and forth between her and thor especially since they had a relationship and to my surprise you get a couple of these scenes already out there in the promo the best banter the best like relationship stuff comes between thor his hammer and his axe his axe is jealous of his ex that's not even an mm-hmm. axe it's a hammer and his axe gets met. That whole triangle there was better than the actual yeah. human interaction. So, uh, weirdly, yeah, yeah, you know. But the, let's talk. Let's talk about the goats before we we put this away. I don't want to talk about the um, goats. I don't want to talk about the goats, bro. I don't want no twenty thirteen. Do you want to talk about in my movie? <laughs> you don't want to talk about the first time they did the goats joke, or the second time, or the third time, or the fourth time, or the fifth time, or the sixth time, or the seventh time they did the goats joke. There was something about the eighth time where they like <laughs> taking them out of the out of the thing, right? Where I was just like, okay. All right. I like the ninth one. The ninth yeah. one was pretty clever. Uh, and then they went back yeah, to the I, I got a bit. I chuckled on the fourth a little bit. The fourth one was okay, but yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it's too much. Bro. It's so much, dude. Uh, <sighs> all right. Thor, Love and Thunder. I'm definitely curious to hear what the inner cuties thought of this one because my theater was eating it up and I felt like really? I was some weirdo by not laughing at this one. But uh, online, online, this reaction seems to be a little bit closer to how I felt. Yours wasn't a press screening? It was a public screening? It, it was a press screening, but they, you know, everybody gets into those things now, so. <laughs> I want to go see this at a, at a public screening. I'm curious to see how people laugh yeah. at some of the jokes. Yeah. All right, and our last for the new to see is this Sunday, the return of Better Call Saul Season oh, 2. Baby. We got six episodes left in Albuquerque, six le- episodes left to find out what happens to Jimmy. Uh, Slippin' Jimmy, I'm so pumped for this. I know that you were thinking about catching up, and, and now time's pretty pretty precious. But when you come over in the middle of July, man, that's what you're gonna catch me watching. Yeah. It's just gonna be that. Exactly. You come over, that's all we're gonna be doing. We'll pick up hot dogs. I, I'm down. We're just gonna sit down and, and do our master rewatch. Perfect. Uh, man, sounds good. All, all right, right. So those are the new to see. Let's talk a little bit about what our picks for the week are. All right, you want to kick us off? Yes. Uh, for this week, I have my streaming options uh, from Netflix being Leave No Trace. This is a little movie that I caught at Chicago Fest a couple of years back. It had a little bit of a run. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how many places were able to get it streaming. I can see right here that it's also mm-hmm. on Hoopla and Canopy, the free library stuff. Definitely go catch it there. They haven't updated it, though, because Netflix just got it. And I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's a really nice drama about a father-daughter who want to live off-grid. But this was like one of the, I think the first time I saw Mackenzie in a role. Thomas and Mackenzie, and, yeah. Nah, from this point forward, I think, I, if I'm not here on Intercut, definitely on A to Z, I said, nah, she a star. And I would say, yeah, she is just going to keep going up and up. And then our boy's always great and everything that he's in. So I would recommend Leave No Trace, a nice little drama over on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, coming up on Apple TV Plus. Bro, you ever go on the screeners app and see how much stuff we have that won't even come out until September? <laughs> yeah man they they keep us full so i went to this thing and it's called blackbird it stars taryn edgerton and paul walter hauser the first two episodes come out this friday um i am not done with it uh, lena finished it but it is pretty much a guy who's been sentenced and finds a way to reduce it by befriending who may be a serial killer reportedly allegedly supposedly and they kind of need him <laughs> to to get some info on where the bodies are buried Taron Edgerton is ripped in this. This man said, I want to be Logan and I'm going to show y'all while I should be. And Paul <laughs> continues to be a really good actor uh, with the nuances that he's able to give. He's able to be this really big dude who can be menacing yet innocent at the same time. And I don't know. He does a really good job there. Um, I'm not putting it as high up there with like something like Mindhunter. But uh, in terms of a lot of the Apple procedural kind of... Uh, not necessarily cop, but undercover prison things that they've had. Uh, this would probably be the standout. The other one being that Octavia Spencer one uh, that I thought was okay. Mm. Th- this, I think, might be on a lot more people's radar. And uh, nice. I, my brother didn't even know who Turn Edgerton was. Or, right? Huh. Turn Edgerton? And he was just like, um, yeah. yeah, that guy's a good actor. He's, he's going to be in a lot of things. I was like, bro, he already had a trilogy of a franchise. And he's been rocking. <laughs> he already Man, won a yeah. Golden Globe. He already won a Golden Globe, but he may win an Emmy for this one. We'll see. Blackbird coming out on Netflix. And then, you know, I don't have Fire Love over here, but Limited, we continue to have Marshall the Shell with Shoes On coming out. It is 
barely getting the tiniest of releases. I know he's stop motion. I know he's tiny, but they they need to get this out in theaters, man. This is a movie yeah. that I think will resonate with people just as much as everything everywhere all at once. That it is just pure joy. Um, it, it's a blast. I want to go see this again. This is a movie I will be seeing again in theaters once it gets a wider release because I feel like it's only in one theater over here and it's barely coming out to more stuff. So if you get the chance to see yeah. it and it's playing near you, do yourself a favor. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. I'm extremely excited to check out Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Uh, I still haven't had my chance to, but I'm definitely doing that this week. I'm not letting another intercut weekend must watch go by without reporting so that's on my picks for the week as well since it's expanding and more people will get a chance to see it uh the other theatrical pick i got is fire of love what a great great documentary uh i'm going to try and see that this week as well to get as much you know big screen lava we don't have enough big screen lava mm-hmm. lava is so dope man uh and then my only other pick is only murders in the building because it's a delightful show and there's a few episodes up to catch uh i've got the screeners as i mentioned too so i'll be diving deep into that second season and enjoying some murder mystery antics with steve martin and martin short for sure sounds good yeah, uh, but i think that's just about all for this edition of the weekend must watch uh, you can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at Zshevich, that's Z-S-H-E-V-I-C-H, and check out my YouTube or TikTok channels at Multiplex Show Art. Where can people find more from you? You can find me over at LME Explain on Twitter, on Letterboxd, on YouTube, at your local theater with a full, full-on suit, watching Minions Rise of Gru in 40X, 3 X <laughs> IMAX, where it's at, uh, and every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, your favorite, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I happen to like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio feed, but to the video feed as well on YouTube.com slash IntercutPod, where you can watch our bright, smiling faces as we run down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the Intercut Weekend Must Watch streaming on our YouTube channel normally. We're on Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll be back to that next week. And please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-requested five-star review. Shout-out to our listeners in Ghana for putting us all the way at number four on the TV and film podcast charts out there. Like our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Support our Patreon. All of them are available at IntricatePod to get updates throughout the week. From Art, from me, from all the guests we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, there's no shame in running. The boys season finale is this week, too. We got a whole bunch to talk about next week on the show. Miss Marvel, all that stuff. Ooh, ooh. It never ends, Zach. It never ends. Never ends.